0: This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. Uh, And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I've also got an Instagram called I Love That Movie Podcast. And we have a closed Facebook group. I think sometimes I forget to plug that, but we do. Uh, It's also called I Love That Movie. It's just... A safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films judgment-free. And my only rule in there is keep it positive. We're like, I think like 198 members strong. So come join the party. Um, And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It really does help new listeners find us. And as I mentioned in my last episode, we now have a Patreon. Whoa. So want to go ahead and take a minute to thank Jeff Whittem, michael cross and chris balga thank you guys so much uh for continuing to support the show and there's a few other people that support it too so if you want to go check that out please do just helps us keep the lights on kind of thing uh we also have a teespring store that now has shirts bags and mugs so if you're not into shirts there's other items bags and mugs so go check that out last two plugs uh October fourth at the Alamo Draft House there will be a four o'clock showing of House of Ghosts. So it's getting into spooky season and uh You know christopher r mim is coming down here from minnesota to show house of ghosts and if you haven't seen that in person it is so freaking fun the movie is hysterical and then on top of that at a live showing everybody dresses up you know there's a a shower of spiders that happens there's ghosts in the theater and it's like five dollars guys and the five dollars you spend actually becomes a credit back on your meal i will be there i will be a doctor Uh, You will have to sign a waiver before you go to the show because it's so scary. You know, it's a health risk. So you got to sign a waiver. Um, And then October 3rd through 6th is going to be DocuFest. This is the 32nd year of um, Dallas Video Fest. And so DocuFest is the part of the festival that is focused on documentaries. I went last year. It was really fun. I got to see a lot of really cool documentaries very early. So go check that out um so so yeah that wraps up my plugs uh so now i'm going to talk to our guest we have a returning guest she is from the all-star episode last year uh please welcome chelsea
1: hey hey
0: chelsea you've been on a couple times we talked about uh the greatest showman and mm-hmm. then uh, we talked about another movie that is escaping me. Or maybe you just came back to talk about.
1: Uh, I came back to talk about it. I That's know, right. Like off the podcast, we've talked about other movies that I could come <laughs> it's probably <rant> about. <laughs> <laughs> my
0: mind's probably blending all that together into one thing. But Chelsea, thank you for coming back. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself in case they haven't heard that episode yet.
1: Sure. Uh, again, my name is Chelsea. Uh, I'm on another podcast with my friend Carly called Golden Girls. Uh, we talk about horror movies and horror video games. Yes, so awesome. I love that name. <laughs> um.
0: So what what movie are we talking about today? Are, my guests always choose the movie.
1: So so which movie did you choose today? As much as I try, really, not to bring up horror movies, since that's what I do all the time <laughs> on my podcast. Uh, I did have to pick one because it is spooky season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so today we're going to talk about Crimson Peak.
0: Yay! I'm so excited about this. So yes. um, I'm going to let you talk on your experience. When did you first see this movie?
1: Uh, I don't know the exact day, but it was the month that it came out. Okay. Um, and I will say uh, the marketing for it wasn't super duper. It made it seem like it was a like true horror movie, mm-hmm. when in reality it's a... It's just like a, a gothic romance with ghosts. No, so, I agree. Yeah. When I first saw it, I didn't like it. Oh my gosh, you're I making me the... feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was in the mood to see something scary. Same. So I wasn't in like the zone to to really see a like really beautiful kind of maybe it's pretentious to say think piece, but you know, it, it's not a scary movie. It has scary elements to it. Um, and you know, you can still watch it for Halloween, it it still fits, but I can go into it way later. But yeah, when I first saw it, when it released, uh, I actually saw it with, uh, April, um, and I think we felt the same. We weren't really sure how we we were like, uh, did you like that? And I had to sit on it for a couple days before I was like, you know, I think I did. I didn't like it for what I expected to. And then it just grew like over time. And it's now one of my favorite movies
0: man okay once again you're making me feel so much better i saw this in theaters i think i saw it with my friend Kara, and we Mm -hmm. had two different reactions and i'll preface this by saying i like you am kind of a horror fan a bit um, maybe I, i would say i'm a pretty big horror fan um but that's what i thought i was getting with this movie it's you know guillermo del toro and i think you know pan's labyrinth though It is sort of a scary fairy tale. I think the horror elements in that are a lot more closer to true horror. And so that's kind of what I was expecting. And I feel like this movie is pretty different from his other films, like aesthetically even. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe it's closer to Hellboy. But I would say closer to Hellboy than it is Pan's Labyrinth. And so what I mean by that is there's more colors in the palette. There's more it's more fantastical. It seems more magical. Um, Mm -hmm. Totally different from what I was expecting. So I did not like it at first. And then my friend Kara, who she tends to be, you probably wouldn't guess this from hearing her on my podcast because she picks movies like Tombstone and Die Hard, but she (laughs) loves, (laughs) she loves movies like Snow White and the Huntsman. And she loved, you know, that, that show... Oh, that go Tracks
1: ahead. already. Just yeah, <laughs> Snow or like White, the Huntsman, that tracks, right? Or
0: like uh, Maleficent. You know, movies like that. There's like another side to her where she likes these sort of fantasy i guess you could say there's some horror elements they're darker but they're definitely you know, dark more fairy tale fairy tale yeah, yeah. and in a way that like i don't always even agree with her like i'm like ah, it's not really my thing but she has always liked that and so and she doesn't really like being afraid like uh she doesn't really like being scared there are some movies where she just spends the whole time like covering your face and then she's just like mm-hmm. i didn't really enjoy that i was too afraid and so we're two different moviegoers in that sense and so she loved this. I think it gave her everything she wanted because it had those scary elements, but it wasn't frightening in the real sense. Mm-hmm. Like You felt, at least me personally, I just feel safe. I It's like whatever's happening on screen is theatrical. It's not truly terrifying. <laughs> and right. so, you know, she, she expressed that. And then I saw on social media a lot of people really appreciating it. And I'm like, you know, sort of at odds with myself. I am a big Guillermo... Guillermo, uh, Guillermo del Toro fan. And so it, it was weird that I didn't like it. And so we watched it again. And it's something where I've always thought about rewatching it, but then you picked it. And yeah, I told you to pick, pick something spooky because it's getting mm-hmm. close to Halloween. And so I watched it again. And I liked it way more knowing what I was coming into. And I think, you know, Guillermo del Toro said himself that it's more of like a, like you mentioned earlier, gothic romance. And I 100% agree. And when you look at it through that lens or even through the idea that maybe this is how a story back then would be written, like this is how they would talk about ghosts in almost a Charles Dickens sort of way, it Mm -hmm. really changes how I view the movie. And now I really like it, like enough to where I feel like I'm going to buy it.
1: (laughs) And I own it twice because (laughs) because I bought it digitally when it first released, I think like on iTunes because I really wanted to show it to my friends and, like, get some more viewings and be like, did I, did I like this? Did I actually like it? Mm-hmm. Um, and through more viewings, you catch more of the movie that you don't really catch the first time. Yeah. Um, like, specifically how we expected it to be a horror movie, um, the main character, it, she's writing a manuscript that's essentially the movie we're watching.
0: Yes, and it kind of parallels, like... Say Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein almost, right?
1: Yeah. Um, it like Edith's manuscript is the characters say it's kind of romantic, but it's not a ghost story. It just has ghosts in it. They're a metaphor, and like hearing that and comparing it with Guillermo's movie, I I'm like, okay, it makes sense. And having seen more of his films now, Crimson Peak. Had it come out, like, at a later time, I would have known what I was getting into, I think, mm-hmm. a, a little bit more. Because I've seen more of his films since then. Um, well, yeah. And then he had, you know, uh, Shape of Water was, mm-hmm. like,
0: best picture. Um, and I think it is similar to this in, stylistically. Yes.
1: Yeah. Which also, I feel like marketing marketing his movies is is tough, I feel like, at least for Western audiences. I agree. Um, it, every time i see a trailer at least now i know what i'm getting into with his work mm-hmm. it's always a little different from what you're expecting <laughs> like hearing the reviews yeah. of people coming back not liking shape of water and me being like i don't know what you expected <laughs> they've made it pretty clear this is a a, a fishy romance
0: <laughs> i know it's weird that people have such a hard time suspending disbelief when you think about like all the movies that are popular right now, like all the Marvel movies and things like mm-hmm. that. And like people walked out of Shape of Water and they're like, I can't believe she had sex with a fish. And I'm like, that's I what can. you're Absolutely, focusing I can. on? Yeah. And I'm like, and that's <laughs> that's where your focus is? Like out of the whole movie. That's the only thing you can't handle. It's so weird. It's like, you know it's a fantasy, right? Like it's not real. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. I think you're right. I think like his movies cater to a specific taste. Like either you get it or you're it's too out there for you, I guess. But it he I just have a hard a time very, seeing it that way. Yeah,
1: he just has a very fairy tale view, like of, uh-huh. of, of, guess, presentation to his films, which is I appreciate because I always liked dark fairy tales growing up. So right, um, it makes sense that this grew on me once I I, I try really hard not to let trailers affect my perception of a film because especially with horror um, unless it's like you you know the cliche horror that comes out every year like the jump scare movie Mm -hmm. um, generally you know your opinion can change just because you even look at old trailers for like really good movies and you're like oh this trailer is bad but that movie was fantastic (laughs) you know
0: no you're totally right (laughs) and and yeah I, I think because a lot of uh, his movies are kind of new ideas and new concepts. I mean, they're taking things that we sort of remember, but framing them in a new way. Maybe that's why people have a harder time getting into them too. Like nobody ever says, did Belle like kiss that beast? Like he wasn't, yeah. you know what I mean? It That yeah, doesn't yeah. even enter our mind because we know Beauty and the Beast, but then we don't know a woman and a fish man. And so I think right. like some of his movies are like that where, people just don't have a frame of reference for them and so i think it's tempting for the people that cut the trailers to try to fashion a movie that people sort of understand just to get them into the theater and like that's the only part they care about is getting them into the seats but you know ultimately appeal
1: to like the mainstream audience
0: exactly yeah yeah perfect and i think you know ultimately that affects how the movies receive though like you said so i think i think you're right i think it's good to kind of Keep in mind, especially for this genre, um, to to kind of take the trailer with a grain of salt most of the time. Right. Yeah. Well, with that, I'm going to go ahead and read the synopsis really quick, um, mm-hmm. and and we'll dive in. This is not spoiler-free. We will talk about the movie, guys, so make sure you watch it first. Uh, there's There's a few twists and turns. Uh, In the aftermath of a family tragedy, an aspiring author is torn between love for her childhood friend and the temptation of a mysterious outsider. Trying to escape the ghosts of her past, she is swept away to a house that breathes, bleeds, and remembers.
1: See, even that description feels so different from the film. Like, that's exactly (laughs) what it is. But just hearing that, I'm like, oh, that's so much more romantic sounding (laughs) than right because (laughs) the movie portrays
0: exactly I think it's because on paper it sounds great and then when you actually watch the movie there's so much more nuance to it right like Mm -hmm. there's layers uh I think to the film and to the characters that sort of interrupt that straightforward narrative um a little bit you know that doesn't even mention the sister in that uh right in that description and yet she's probably a bigger character than Tom Hiddleston so yeah. Um, I think the next thing I'm going to do is run over a couple of quick facts. And if you have something to uh, jump in with, feel free. Sure. Uh, you know, this movie was directed by Guillermo del Toro. It's also written by him and Matthew Robbins. So I do do want to start off with just mentioning that real quick. Uh, the house was built in its entirety, but it had to be torn down at the end of the shoot in order to make space in the studio. Which I think is mind-blowing. I I mean, I guess yeah. I knew it was a set,
1: but, like, a whole freaking house? Wow. that's. I know. Usually it's, like, room pieces and maybe sometimes a front set piece. Mm-hmm. But it, it's wild to imagine, like, just a whole ass house. <laughs> I know.
0: It's in, in Only to be studio? torn down.
1: Oh, that's so sad.
0: So depressing. I, I hope that they make, like, a miniaturized version. I haven't been to, like – I know they, they have um, – you know, I've seen – his stuff come to museums and I've always wondered Mm -hmm. if, you know, I think it would be cool to, like, do maybe a smaller setup version or just, like, a piece from it. I hope they kept something from it. Like, that's just so sad. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, the other thing was Guillermo del Toro's inspirations for the movie uh, include The Innocence, The Haunting, The Exorcist, The Omen, and The Shining. And I found that list interesting because I've seen three of those i guess four of those movies i don't really see what he's talking about there but i haven't seen the innocence i don't know what what, what I, are your thoughts on that i haven't seen that
1: one i can see where he draws parallels from the haunting okay i haven't seen that in a while so yeah me neither it <laughs> came out late 90s early 2000s is that right
0: the haunting uh, yeah the, the, Wait, the, the, remake the remake of I'm it yeah yes yeah, the, the remake yeah and the original was yes. 1963 I think yes, I've yes. seen both of them, but yeah, it's like, I, I guess I can see that, but just all three, or I guess like that whole list kind of leaves out the biggest part of the film to me though, is, which is the aesthetic. I don't really see that
1: influence in that list. I feel and- that's that's Guillermo. I know! <laughs> he, he has <laughs> a very kind of flashy uh, you know, I I'm gonna take a shot every time I say gothic romantic Uh, because it has that feel to it you know
0: it does it's sort of stylistic almost like you know the way tim burton is has his Mm -hmm. own style like guillermo del toro has his like Um, you can
1: just see a set piece with uh characters from his work and be like ah, yes this is a del toro versus like this is a burton you know right
0: yeah yeah right yeah you could just see like one creature and be like yep that I know what I'm getting into now
1: <laughs> or you can just be like is Doug Jones in this movie cool. <laughs> yeah we he, know who he made definitely this. is yeah
0: uh, I also had that Director Guillermo del Toro gave actress Jessica Chastain the script after working with her on Mama in 2013 and thought she would play the lead role, Edith. But after reading the script, Chastain asked to play the character of Lucille, which she thought had a more interesting and challenging, you know, bent to her.
1: That would have been such a... Like, to see Jessica in Edith's role... Yeah. It's I mean, it probably would have worked just fine. She is a great actress. Oh, of course. Yeah. But just imagining it, because I I love the actress they got for Edith. Mia, uh, I can't pronounce her last name, so I'm not going to try. Mia W. Wasikowska.
0: I've been trying. I've been like, (laughs) I've been reading it out loud to myself. I think that's close. Mia Wasikowska, Edith Cushing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a lot of names on here that I was like, "Uh uh-oh. But yeah, like...
1: (laughs) I really like Mia's she pulls off that very kind of plain Jane aesthetic that a lot of period pieces really like, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, still being like breathtakingly oh, insanely beautiful, insanely beautiful. Yeah. But like plain Jane, beautiful Hollywood, plain Jane, beautiful, you know?
0: Right. No. And, and like you said, <laughs> she really fits that period piece kind of aesthetic. I think I always think of, uh, you know, when she was in Alice in Wonderland and mm-hmm. uh, Tim Burton's movie. Uh, and so, I, you know, she was perfect in that. And I guess she just fits that sort of gothic aesthetic too. Man, so gothic, uh, romance. Uh, I keep saying um, aesthetic too much. Um, yep. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of repeated film. phrases here. <laughs> it's just how it is, guys. Um, but yeah, I think Jessica Chastain fits the role of the villain better. Uh, I've seen her play a villain a couple of times, and I think she's really good at it and she's got this intensity to her it's not I don't know Mia has sort of a more muted you know innocent look to her and then Jessica I feel like I don't know she just comes across stronger and I think that the age difference between the two of them like Jessica seems a little bit older a little bit more Mm -hmm. like wise and so I don't know. I just I, it's hard I for me to picture to see that. Who
1: they who they got would have gotten for Lucille if Jessica had played Edith? True, true. But I think I would he, have to see something like. Oh God, I don't even know.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Then she that did would kind so of well.
1: <laughs> who, you know, whoever they got for Lucille, would they be a good match with Tom? Right. I feel like the cast is just so good
0: i i agree they have great chemistry everybody does i mean it's like believable mm-hmm. um you're right that kind of throws the whole thing off and i and i think it's cool that uh del toro like you know just agreed with her and thought yeah you know what sure i'll give you the bigger role in a way you know this is kind of interesting uh also had that and i didn't know this watching this i think this is such a cool fact i have to go back and see it just for this alone, many Mm -hmm. pieces of the furniture in the film are two different sizes, so when a character sits on it, it appears on its background, it can show certain emotion, but then a bigger size to show characters' weakness and tenderness, like feeling smaller. Um, Oh. Yeah.
1: I didn't know that part.
0: Yeah, it shows their strength and determination kind -hmm. of thing, so they kind of played with the sizing of of the furniture, which I think is such a cool thing to do I mean it, it makes a lot of sense but I don't think I picked up on that at all watching it I, I just yeah. I don't know I have to go back and look at that because that's one of those like small details that I'm sure had a huge impact on some of those scenes and I didn't even I didn't even pick up on it
1: huh. yeah that's interesting yeah Um, I do have to say because I, I didn't know until looking it up and watching it later I thought Doug Jones played all the ghosts I thought um, that too he doesn't yeah. Uh it Doug Jones only does Edith's Wow, that sounds bad. He only plays Edith's mother <laughs> and Lady Sharp. Mm-hmm. Um and Javier Botet is Enola, Margaret, and Pamela. Mm. Which he was also in Mama. Oh, okay. And he does he's also a very tall, lanky dude that does a bunch <laughs> of ghosts. That's interesting. So,
0: yeah. I wonder why, I like to th- give him a break or just they're both bring a different energy. I think, yeah, I think it's
1: it's just so Duck doesn't have to do that much <laughs> makeup that many times, you know? Yeah. They're not on screen for that long, but, uh, you know, Del Toro still does quite a bit of practical special effects. And then they go in and add, like, the visual effects later for a few things. Like, the kind of red clay blood in the air that the ghost all had. Mm-hmm. Um, like some missing facial parts I think for one of them uh, and then like maybe some fingers but they're both tall lanky dudes that can bend their bodies and be creepy so why not use both
0: so one complaint I had when I first saw the movie is I was like Ugh, it's all cg what are you doing del toro and then uh-huh. I saw the behind the scenes and I was shocked to realize that it was mostly practical effects like you're saying and mm-hmm. just slight slight additions. so I think that added a level of me appreciating the film even more when I when I saw it's, those behind the scenes.
1: It's the same thing with scary stories that just came out this year. Um, a lot of people were complaining the CG looked bad, and they were like, "It's not CG; these are real suits."
0: Yeah, I saw they have CG
1: N- effects, but they're real suits.
0: <laughs> yeah, Nick showed me um, how they built all those suits. Like there was a, a long video about that, mm-hmm. and it is like amazing i mean it looks amazing so yeah that's i don't know it's it's weird it's almost like sometimes when they add the effects it it can sort of you know i don't want to say take away but i guess maybe it fools the audience into thinking all of it cg and then they kind of i don't know have a knee-jerk reaction to it like i did at first it's just
1: because all of these pieces are so surreal mm -hmm. and just hitting that uncanny valley where you're like that's CG, right?
0: No, yeah, that's it. Um, and I, I don't know. Like I said, it, it gives me a bigger appreciation for for what he did with the with the movie. It makes me want to go mm. back and and lo- and dissect it even more. Um, The last thing that I had was that Guillermo del Toro claims that one of the inspirations for the film was an actual supernatural event that occurred to him. Uh, while While he was location scouting for the Hobbit trilogy when he was originally set to direct those films, he and some members of the production stayed the night at a haunted hotel in New Zealand and del Toro claims that one of the nights after midnight he could hear the sounds of a murderer including whimpering, screams, etc. coming from a vent leading to an empty bathroom and that this event was the basis for the sequence in the film when edith witnesses a ghost in the bathtub
1: Ooh, spooky
0: i know I'm, I'm one of those people that like i really enjoy ghost tours i love ghost stories i i don't know that i believe it but i wouldn't say i'm 100 closed off i would say maybe 85% closed off so I'm always I feel interested to hear those kind of stories because like mm-hmm. there's a part of me that's like that's not true 100% and another <laughs> part of me is like but I don't know you know so like there's I, some
1: things you can't explain exactly you can like logically try to like work through it and be like it could be A B or C but at the same time you're like okay but I can't prove it so yeah, yeah. and I,
0: I think I enjoy it too like I kind of like that about myself like I like the fact that I'm not totally 100% sure and I kind of want to stay in that zone um Mm. I don't want to be truly horrified by ghosts in real life but I do like to hear people's ghost stories so I do like that he has this event that he witnessed that kind of is the germ for you know what ended up being in the film so I think it's interesting
1: inspiration for it
0: yes (laughs) Um, so those are my quick facts. Did you have any, uh, quick facts you wanted to throw into? Uh,
1: I pretty much got, I just wanted to make sure I shouted out, um, Javier and Doug, because I feel like there's not enough credit in the world that he can, that can be given to actors, uh, and even people that work behind the scenes. Uh, yeah. Cause you know, all the credit usually goes to whoever directed, wrote, produced, or could be visibly seen in the movie. But you know all these people that work so hard on it behind the scenes, the costume designer, which I have like the art book for *Crimson Peak* that goes into detail um, about some of the uh, costume pieces and like why they chose what they chose, and it's ugh, it's so good. No, yeah, I very I,
0: much recommend. I agree with you. Um, you know, I sent you a clip earlier this week from. Kate Hawley, who worked on the costumes for this movie, which mm-hmm. are breathtaking, uh, she worked with Del Toro on Pacific Rim as well, and you know most of the other films that she's worked on, they're not like this. So it's incredible. It's not like they hired someone that then they were like, you know, here's my go-to period piece girl, and she's gonna make yeah. all these costumes. But like she, ha- I think she has worked on movies like that, but that's not like that's not what she's like known for. So. Um, a lot of these costumes in this movie, you know, they had to be, like, eight to ten copies of? Like, that's insane to think about, because they got so So dirty and ripped up and covered Mm -hmm. in blood, so these costumes are elaborate. So it's hard for me to imagine making that many of them, so huge shout-out to her. Um, I also agree with you about Doug Jones and Javier. That's, I mean, man, we, they're kind of like almost the same level of like voice actors that don't get enough recognition it's kind of that same thing of like i don't know this movie wouldn't like exist without them and yet they they don't really you know we don't see their face so we don't really right yeah
1: they basically do my my dream job if i were ever to get into acting that is what i want to be i wanted to be the monster in all the movies That's so cool. Well, you have quite a few monster costumes too, don't you? It's yeah. It's why I make the cosplays that I do because I can hide my face and pretend. (laughs) (laughs) There's a level of anonymity that comes with
0: it that is enjoyable when you Mm -hmm. pick a costume like that for sure. And then people are really just focusing on your work. Yep. You know, and Um, you
1: don't have to put on makeup. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. Scenario.
0: Yeah, I love Doug Jones so much. He's he's like one of my favorite people. One of my favorite actors um you know he's in so many films that i enjoy i think the first time i ever saw him was probably in hocus pocus because uh, oh, he's yeah. the boyfriend billy so he kind of gets to talk in that one a little bit
1: <laughs> i don't think i started tracking his work until <laughs> pan's labyrinth
0: yeah I'm, I'm probably right there with you i didn't know i had seen him already but I right, haven't. am like, oh, he's always been here. Um, he's awesome on Star Trek Discovery, though. I think I have a straight oh, up crush on him on that. that show. Oh my gosh. I'm always like, yeah, I love him so much, but you, <laughs> y- if you just watch it just for him, it's possible. He's really good. When they casted him, I was like, oh my God, why why have they not put him in Star Trek before now? Like Star Trek or Star Wars, you know, he would be perfect. That's true. Um, but he's awesome, so y- you need to check that out. Uh, but yeah, I, the, the other thing I wanted to highlight, I thought the m- music in this movie was just gorgeous. It made me want to download the soundtrack. And that was by mm-hmm. Fernando Velasquez. So um, just wanted to highlight that as well. And the director of photography, Dan Lostson. Lostson? See, I told you I was going to have a hard time with names on this one. I'm terrible with names, <laughs> even when I have it in front of me. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Dan Lostson i'm sorry dan i tried sure. uh he also was a dp on the shape of water and john wick two and three which oh, i mean ugh, all, all three of those films are gorgeous looking so i i love that i love uh his work and and he did an incredible job on this film too Um, and I think I'm done with my gush fest (laughs) if you you want to start talking about some of the scenes we'll dive into the actors I I think as we go along so go ahead
1: (laughs) and I'll try I'll try so hard not to like deep dive into everything and you know just read off the whole movie
0: oh my gosh you'll get no argument
1: from me so do whatever you want (laughs) I I get real bad about it so um I guess just to kind of brief I'll, I'll like briefly summarize through the movie, and then when I come to bits that are fun to to talk about, I'll point that out. That sounds but good. But we mentioned earlier um, about Edith having a manuscript because she is writing her own book, mm-hmm. um, and it does sort of open with her trying to present her manuscript, saying, "Hey, I, I want to get this published," um, and they they specifically say that it's it's romantic and it's not a ghost story; it just has ghosts in it. Um, But the guy that she's talking to suggests that it needs a love story, Mm -hmm. you know, because she's a woman, so clearly she needs, (laughs) um, which is why she goes in to use the typewriter that her father owns to basically hide her handwriting because it's too feminine and gives away that she is a lady writing. right? Um, And there's kind of this expectation uh, if, you know... In this world that they've created uh, of what a woman should write. Yeah. Uh, And that's right when, right when Thomas sort of enters. So it's neat comparing, hey, here's what we have about your, your story so far, which Edith has also already talked about a flashback of how ghosts are real. um, And she saw one when she was little, when her mother died. So again, we're following her manuscript. This is a romantic story with ghosts um, but it's not a ghost story and a love interest has now entered into the scene which i didn't you know you don't really catch the first time maybe i didn't catch it no but i, after I several didn't viewings, either. Um, like hearing what certain people or what certain characters will say or just kind of following the path of her own story compared to the movie was really cool And there's
0: a lot of challenging of gender roles, I think, in this movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's very deliberate, and del Toro talks about them. I'll mention one of them a little bit later, but I think it's not like the story is following the traditional way that a heroine would be treated in a movie, and I think he's calling that out in the movie itself, too. So it's kind of, that's another thing I don't think I picked up on the first time I watched this at all. So I agree with you. And I think you, you talk about we're going to meet uh, Thomas Sharp, which is played by Tom Hiddleston. Um, watching this movie uh, a couple nights ago, I told Nick, you know, I could also see them have having gone with like Benedict Cumberbatch uh, in this role. And I found out he, he was actually the first choice. And they.
1: I can see that. Yeah. I can definitely see that. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much because I don't like him as much as Tom. <laughs> I can definitely see him taking that role.
0: Yeah, so so they, he was supposed to play him and then he said it was nothing, you know, bad, but they basically just came to a point where I I think they just didn't like, they didn't both see eye to eye and where it was going, and so he left the project. I have to wonder if some of that is some of the reason that I like you don't see him the same way in this role, I think he would have played this a lot more Like in control and in command and sort of domineering in a way that Thomas Sharp isn't. I think that Tom Hiddleston has this, especially in this role, like when he's Loki, you know, which you could kind of say that they look very similar uh, as characters, but Loki is like very mischievous and he's very, he's very self-aware and I don't think that Thomas Sharp is. I don't think he knows who he is the same way. He's, um, as we'll come to learn as the plot goes on, he's being manipulated, I think, and coerced, you could even say, into some of his actions. And he's very conflicted about who he is, about how he feels, and what's right right and wrong. And there's a sort of, like, doe-eyed look to him. Again, I think a gender role flip, in a way. Like, there's a world where... He could be the female character and she would be the male character in a traditional love sense, I guess, like an old old timey, like man, woman love sense. But, um, and so I could see that angle too. and, And maybe Benedict didn't like that as much. And maybe Tom Hiddleston just fit into that role a little bit easier. I don't know, but I am glad that they went with him. I think he's got that sort of Gothic look down also that I don't think Benedict has the same way who I also love him as an actor. So I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but Tom Hiddleston is just perfect casting in this.
1: I think think Tom also has like a, a very smooth voice. He does. And for the role that he's playing, it really fits. Um, I think Benedict is when he's trying to do a similar voice, it, it comes across as a bit more skeevier. Yeah. Like, I feel like the deceptive nature wouldn't have been hidden as well. If I agree. He had played. But who knows? He could have knocked the fucking role right out of the park. <laughs> this is just how I've seen him in other movies and compared him to, I guess.
0: Right. Because he usually plays someone that's sort of awkward and stilted and not really, like or you like said, smooth ass. and charming. Like, we yeah, would see like, it coming from a mile away. We would have been like, okay, that's a bad guy. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. But also, I think with, um, I guess, presenting their characters uh, as far as, like, their personality and their wardrobe, you know, as Thomas Sharp and Lucille are introduced uh, and they're trying to, you know, get money invested in their machine. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, I can't remember if they actually pointed out. I think Edith points out um, that their clothing looks old and sophisticated. And the first time kind of seeing it, I assumed it was because they're like old money and trying to show off, you know.
0: Uh Um,
1: I'm going to keep saying, you know, and it's going to drive me insane. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, So I thought they were just trying to look old money, whereas after you've seen the movie you come to realize they don't have any money for new clothes they only have the old clothes right so that is why they look so old money compared to everyone else who kind of has a more hip color palette they're all like bright colors and like in with the fashion versus you know he's in uh, they're both in like black and black more black mm-hmm. I think some some dark greens, some dark blues But very dark, muted color palettes. Yeah. Which um, also contrasts with Edith and Lucille's conversation uh, when they go on, like, the walk and talking about how all the butterflies are dying and back home uh, in their house. They only have black moths because they blend in with the darkness and they eat the butterflies, which cue the most horrifying scene I've ever ever experienced of ants (laughs) eating butterflies and I yeah always block that scene out of my head but (laughs) (laughs) oh you know those are some of the kind of small small bits that you don't really pay attention to as strongly without a, a second viewing or or something like that
0: yeah no I and I think I think that there's layers to it like I think They're, you know, it is a bit of a misdirect to show that they're in, like you said, a more muted color palette, a more sophisticated look in comparison to the brighter, you know, uh, crowd that they're at. But also they're coming from the UK, right, over to Mm -hmm. America. And America is a newer country, especially at the point in the film. And it is less sophisticated. It is more cowboy. It is all those things so there, there's sort of a couple different things happening at the same time I think of like you know they um you later find out that Thomas Sharp went to like five or six different places they talk the, the father brings it up to look for money and this is sort of like their last stop right so I mean mm-hmm. I, I think that there is a level of you know turning their nose down at at these Americans and, but also having to come crawling to them for help. So I, I don't know. I think, I think that's there. And then also, um, you know, it is sort of old money versus new money. I think that's there too. And I think also, you know, their clothes kind of, they look like they're dying and decaying like their house. Um, right. Whereas she looks like a bright yellow light, because that's who she is. Like you said, they're going to snuff it out and it Mm -hmm. is weird when you go back and watch it that all that's there like sort of being explained to you and put right in front of you but you're not going to be able to digest it the first time you see it so you have to go back and watch it a couple times to really to really catch all that like you like you already mentioned exactly
1: there's just a lot of foreshadowing and symbolism in this movie and i i appreciate it greatly
0: Del Toro's a big details guy. I mean, he just is. Like, there's nothing really in his movies that's not there on purpose. And there's so much to look at that it's hard to get it all in. So, and that's just, like, one of the things I love about him as a director. I think that's why he's one of my favorites, because I appreciate all those details. I won't mm-hmm. sit here and say I'm a detailed person. Like, I wish I was uh, I'm that detail. i usually detailed.
1: not. And, like, it <laughs> has to be a specific kind of film to really make me sit down and try to pick it apart. Yeah, Um, and obviously this is one of them but you know more often than not I'll watch it and be like I love it right it's like like, I don't know why I don't know I just do
0: (laughs) I'm the same way there's all these directors that I love that are so detail oriented but I'm not at all it's like I'm not I feel like I'm not even like qualified to be like oh I love this why it's pretty I don't know know." it good Yeah. why is it good Eh. (laughs) I don't know I enjoyed it
1: There was one line that I had forgotten about until I rewatched it uh, here again before the podcast. Um, And that's when Edith and Thomas have gotten married and they've uh, they've already moved over to the uh, new house. Mm -hmm. And they've got the caretaker out and he's introduced and he's like, here's my wife. Please take our stuff inside. And the caretaker says, I wrote it down. He's like, I know you've been married a while and yeah. he says what does he mean by that and he goes oh I don't know that's weird anyways god there's and so <laughs> many
0: red flags with him it's like so obvious like yeah, just the simple fact that he swoops in and suddenly falls in love with her after what, like one meeting he's mm-hmm. mysterious and can't explain anything and then the dad's even like it's pretty suspicious that you're all over the place and now you're here and you're trying to get my daughter and I know it's for the money like yep. I know what you're doing and then he mysteriously dies it's like poor Edith <laughs> and then that happens right. and you're like Edith come on now you've got to pick up some of these signs here but the first time I watched it I don't think I did pick up on that so I guess I'm I'm, I'm with Edith I'm
1: cautiously optimistic with her at this point <laughs> Like, the most obvious one that they make is the dog, who was Enola's dog. Um, Yep. Which, obviously, you find out later. But, you know, that little phrasing, um, the dad mentioning London, Edinburgh, Milan. uh, Was there another one, or was there just three? I think he just had three wives prior. um, About how he had failed to get money in all those places, but that's not entirely true. He got new wives in all of those places and took their uh, money. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's true and it isn't. And and what's kind of, I don't want to say cool. I like guess it's not cool to, the subject isn't cool, but it's neat that it sort of reminds me of new stories where that has happened, especially back in the day. Right. Like I think uh, that guy, James Holmes, I think. The the guy that they're always like, oh, America's first serial killer. It's like kind of not really. He did that. He would like marry women to get their inheritance for whatever crackpot scheme he had going. And Mm -hmm. then get rid of them and then marry someone else. And I think it was just a lot easier back then to do that because... You know, it. we didn't have the internet and stuff. And it was, like, much easier to just go to a different state and start a whole new life and have yeah, no yeah. one be the wiser.
1: And especially they would pick out people who didn't have family to really look after them. Mm-hmm. Um, or to go looking for them if they never answered. So, you know, if no one can really reach you easily, and especially the Sharps live so far away from anyone else including like the post office so who's to say people visiting wouldn't even remember what his wife actually looked like
0: yeah that's a good what her name
1: was she's just miss or lady sharp
0: yeah that's true
1: so you know
0: yeah and like i i also feel that our society was as such where you could you could marry someone for their inheritance like that in a way that wouldn't work logistically today. It's not like you marry someone and then automatically get their money. But, like, back then it was a little more like that. So yeah, it created a motive. It's fine. <clears throat> yeah, it, it gave people a motive for murder that they wouldn't have in the same way today either. So I think all that stuff is pretty interesting. And also Lucille... When she sees that dog, too, remember she's right away, she's like, what's that thing doing here? And you think she's just mean, but it's because it's that dog. He was probably supposed to kill that dog. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They left it out uh, in the woods and Mm -hmm. assumed it would starve to death, but it survived. Looked great, too. So, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He looked (laughs) well-groomed. I was about to say the dog does survive, but no, it doesn't oh yeah i forgot oh. it's killed off screen <laughs> but you know there you go the dog does die in the end you don't see it but it is pretty sure it's stabbed yeah oh yeah pretty you sure hear that's it. what you hear
0: well at least they didn't show it to us <laughs>
1: i know i just it's so so sad that dog worked so hard
0: i know the dp must be like i'm tired of all these dogs dying in my movies yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, I guess I was only in John Wick 1. Never mind. My joke didn't work. But you know what I meant.
1: <laughs> it's, you know what? That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> that dog death was so brutal, that's enough. I, I agree. I think another kind of foreshadowing that I like and that stands out to me is, um, you know, Edith trying to bond with Lucille and Lucille kind of prying into Edith's, you know, saying, uh, you'll get used to it here and Thomas will warm up to you because you know your husband and wife and start showing her this book spine. That's like, Hey, do you want to see a secret kid? And it's like two people in a compromising position <laughs> <laughs> when you like bend the book spine and has like a hidden image. Mm-hmm. It's like, Ooh, look at this naughty thing as kind of a, a really awkward and weird way to try to see if Edith and her brother had slept together. It's like a really convoluted way to find out. I think it's...
0: Man, I think it is so controlling and like, I don't know, borderline just like abusive. Like, when I watched this again, I considered Thomas Sharp way more innocent this viewing because she really controls all aspects of his life like to the point where yes they've cooked up this scheme where he marries women but she mentions that he picked her this time so it that right. to me that implied in the past she would pick the women so she would control like which women he would be with so that I guess he wouldn't fall in love with them and then he she doesn't even trust him to stick with that she creates this rule of like they, they can't even sleep together even though they're married and then yep. on top of making that crazy rule she tests her in a weird way like you said to make sure they're not doing it i just think the level of control she has over him is really disconcerting probably like the more uncomfortable part of the movie even than some of the other stuff but I don't think I noticed that the first time I watched it either and now I'm like man that is some next level you know yeah, tight grip on him yeah it's bad. I, I mean it's, it's nasty and it's bad it's real bad y'all it's real bad um, yeah but I guess that's the only way she could have asked because she can't be like oh I mean that's totally bizarre to be like have you consummated your marriage yet I mean there's no way to ask that like (laughs) and so she had to be like hey we're getting closer I'm showing you a secret I'm giving you something I'm connecting with you I'm bonding with you I mean it's like really manipulative it's not weird
1: because you and my brother have already done this right ha ha
0: yeah it's like that I would be
1: even (laughs) even (laughs) if she had she should have been like there's a thing
0: called boundaries and you're crossing them. Like, I don't want to talk about this with you, but yeah, like it it is really, really manipulative. That's going to be my word
1: (laughs) for the the rest of the movie. Manipulative. Yeah. She's versus we have um, poor Thomas who he like throughout the movie, he really does grow fond of Edith and does fall in love with her and, you know, tries to break free from his sister's, control uh, and then there was a another line that r- stuck out to me um, when he's been reading more of her manuscript and he says how much he really likes one of the characters in oh there yeah and asks, does he make it through and she says well that's entirely up to him another <gasps> foreshadowing
0: yeah I mean for later in the film yeah, and giving him his power back in a way too like mm-hmm. I think I didn't notice this either, but you kind of get the feeling that his sister's older than him. I even think that plays a part in Oh, she is. The way that it's like 2 years, I think, but but it's enough to where she's the decision maker and he's like he obeys her. So I think mm. a, another reason why he loves Edith is because she's young and she's free and you know, she's coming from a completely different world. You know, he picked her And so because he picked her, he picked somebody he liked. And then on top of that, she comes from this really warm, loving family. And through her, he's seeing what that might be like. Whereas I think with the other women that they preyed upon, you know, they didn't have connections. They didn't have anything. So they didn't... He even says that to her that she's so different from everybody else. And when she says that's entirely up to him, I agree that's foreshadowing for his character and hers because I think she ends up being so much more formidable than lucille could have guessed because she just is different she's just she's a very um she she seems young and naive but she's a very like in control um you know strong person and so Mm -hmm. him seeing like a strong person in a positive way instead of in a negative way like with his sister i think that's just really appealing to him because he wishes he could have that and he could be that
1: And I'm going to jump back a little bit because we hadn't mentioned one of the other main characters, Dr. Alan McMichael? McMichael. Um, Oh, yes. Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam's character, who he has just the strangest accent in this movie. (laughs) He does. It's like, I guess it's supposed
0: to be American. And he can do an American accent because he's on, you know, what's it called? Sons of Anarchy, which I I loved that show. I watched all the
1: seasons of that, but... Yeah, you're right. It's something in this movie. Like, like, I don't know if bad is the right word. It's just <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah. But he's, he's the childhood friend uh, that the synopsis is like saying, she's torn between two loves. And they really don't play up their relationship. Like, you know that they're very close and there might be kind of a spark between them because he's just come back and he's been away for years you know and there's kind of like playful banter between them mm-hmm. but it's never like this deep passionate like <laughs> uh almost uh love triangle sort of thing it's it it doesn't come across as that but you Not do at all. see how much he cares about her going through all these links because he doesn't trust the sharps of course
0: well, I think it's because of the way Charlie Hunnam's playing it, and also the way the character's written, because he's a good person, just on his own, without needing to be in love with her, without needing to be mm-hmm. her savior, because really, he ends up being the damsel in distress, as Del Toro put it, which I heard, that's Honestly. why... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why Charlie Hunnam wanted to do it, because he liked the idea of, of that being flipped, of him being the damsel in distress, but... Um, he doesn't play it that way up until the end and then, then you see because I think you think the whole time he's going to save the day and that's not what happens but no. he um, he
1: helps but it's you know he helped
0: yeah uh, he, tried. he just yeah he has he needed some help also but yeah I think that uh, they have a true friendship uh, that you know you mentioned they, they were childhood friends and I think he's open to seeing where the relationship could go and she is too but he doesn't – he's not the kind of person that just because somebody else comes in, he's going to, like, up his game of, you know, being competitive. And I think traditionally in movies like this, he would be – normally he would be an extremely jealous, passionate man that, like, grabs her and goes, no, I'm here for you. And it's like – well, like a run ex- in and
1: kind of save the day at the end and, like – a awkward passionate kiss out of nowhere yeah
0: that you would you would leave the theater going did she want that to happen or did she just not want to be in a murder house you know yeah I like that the movie lets her make those decisions and him too like they don't have to be pushed together just because of the situation they're close friends they're practically family and that's why he's so invested and so you know even when she turns him down and and dates Thomas Sharp he's respectful of her feelings but I think he's also being like this is suspicious and she's sort of caught up in her emotions right now uh, Mm -hmm. which is normal but I think that an objective person needs to take another look at this like I I think that's why he's playing it that way Um, and I I really like that because it is like different than how you would traditionally see it so I think he did a good job his accent is bizarre like you said
1: it's (laughs) It's something, yeah. It's it's there. And I guess moving on to like the horror aspects of this, since it's not, it doesn't have traditional jump jump scares, mm-hmm. uh, but it does have some kind of shocking moments. And the ghosts look so cool. I love the idea of having them mine red clay and that being a central point, so that they can use. The melting snow and the red clay to portray blood Mm -hmm. and bloody ghosts. Yeah, and I don't think I
0: picked up on that. I think that was another thing about the aesthetic of the film where I was like, "Oh, I kind of wish this was more subtle." But it actually makes more sense because when you find out in the end that they've like thrown a lot of these bodies into those big clay drums or whatever,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: like that's why they're covered in clay. Like red. Yeah, and that's why. You know, they all sort of appear how they died and they're clues uh, to how they died. And I don't think I picked up on that the first time. So I just, it just made me like it even more because they're kind of warning her by just appearing to her like they're coming out of the clay things. And I also thought this time watching it that, uh, you know, that's why she survives. She is different. And at first when he says, you're different from the others, I thought he was picking up on her like supernatural ability. Because she has one like that—that that is something else that makes her different too. Uh, I don't think she would have survived. I think she would have been like the other women and would have been killed. But because she's so intuitive and because she's got this sort of, you know, supernatural power. That gives her an edge the whole movie of being sort of one step ahead or saying things that sort of trigger Thomas to uh, react differently or hint to Lucille that she knows what's going on. I, right. I, I just think that's so cool. Like, again, when you watch it a second time, you sort of see all that stuff about her. Mm-hmm.
1: And then I love you. It's more obvious with um, the tea and the poison. That yeah. Lucille is constantly giving Edith of, you know, this is how they slowly killed everyone. And then they reveal that in the wax cylinder recording.
0: Yeah, I love that part. It's so
1: spooky.
0: I love it. I was like, ooh. She's like, I'm making these recordings
1: that they, for some reason, don't destroy. But um, (laughs) yeah, I was like, why did they keep... I think they were hidden. Well, some of them were hidden. Because I I know she finds some of them in the closet before like a ghost scares her. But then finds more packets later in the locked suitcase downstairs with the clay drums.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the first time I watched it right away, I was like, oh, that tea's a problem. Because you always, I think it's just so many years of watching, like, Unsolved Mysteries. But I think, like, that's one of my, like, childhood fears, like, being poisoned. Because <laughs> I watch right. so many, like, true crime stories like that. Um, it's just you know so scary uh but yeah i love when she plays those recordings too because she's like i knew it this damn tea this is this tea's killing me and she's got to stop drinking it
1: right and the whole time the ghosts were trying to warn her and even her own mother uh in death was warning her of crims beware of crimson peak yeah when you and even the trailers try to make it out like the ghosts are out to get her Right. And they're like, no, girl, get
0: out of here. Yeah, they're like, go. They're like, pointing and like, showing her stuff. Yeah, they're trying to yeah, they're trying the to clues. her. And I like that, too. I like that the ghosts are helpful. <laughs> the, the ghosts were good after all. Mm-hmm. They're just spooky looking. They can't help it
1: man I love this movie
0: I know it's so fun I, it, it's weird it's got so many things in it that I like and I think I just didn't realize that I keep saying that but I don't think I realized that on first viewing
1: there's like so many things that you can like really get down and pick apart
0: mm-hmm. we talked about a lot of them like her clothes everything <laughs> like everything in this movie is something you can sort of take there's so many metaphors the butterflies the
1: moths yeah it's awesome I'm trying to think if there's, like, a, a big one that I'm, I'm missing outside of just, here's the plot of the movie.
0: Well, I, I do want to go <laughs> back to, if, if if it's okay, back to the death of the father. Yes. Because we didn't talk about that. And that scene is super disturbing. And probably the it's only so time. over the top. Yeah. That you kind of have to suspend disbelief a little bit. Because it's just hard for me to believe that Lucille could be that strong in the way she kills mm-hmm. the dad i i didn't see that coming like killing him with the sink and then when they show the body later too Ugh, it's just really cringy it's,
1: but um it reminds me of the bottle scene in pan's labyrinth it's just so you're right over the top with face gore del toro is everything okay
0: <laughs> yeah it's like it's so much scarier than if he just got his head chopped off or something. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, you kind of see that coming the second he starts delving into Thomas Sharp. But I think what's cool is at the end, you learn that it was actually Lucille that did that. And she even says to Thomas, like, yeah, she's like, you're going to do it this time. So that implies that she's killed everybody. So again, I keep going back to, I feel like he's a victim in this story too. Yes, Mm -hmm. he participates, but, you know, she killed their mother. Um, when she found out about their incestuous love, which, I again, I think is debatable because his sister is crazy and I feel like forced him into this crazy relationship and then continues to exert her control and kills people. I mean, wouldn't you be afraid of her if you were Thomas? Like, <laughs> you know, like she's she's the bad guy here, I think. And I think that's also cool because, you know, it's a, a, a female lead and then a female bad guy. Again, a lot of stuff kind of turning it on its head that you don't normally see in a movie like this.
1: And for Lucille, it's one of those where she's a victim. I mean, they're both victims of abuse from their mother, who mm-hmm. pulled some flowers of the attic and locked them upstairs in the nursery. So obviously, yeah. when they only have each other, you know, stuff happens because they're teenagers. That's a good point. And growing yeah. up, and don't know right from wrong. I, I don't know. I don't have any siblings, so I can't, I can't compare this I to either.
0: But yeah, I agree. That's a really good point. I hadn't even thought of that, but they literally have nobody else to communicate with or talk to. And, like, like how could
1: you blame them? You know, Lucille grew up in this abusive household. Uh, it, it did a murder, so, you know, that wasn't great for her psyche. So, it, it's she's one of those kind of villains that's not it's a villain because of upbringing, I guess. I know some people hate sympathetic villains, but not everything is always so like black and white. Uh, And for her, there's like some nuance with, uh, she had a very unfortunate childhood that led to this. Couldn't separate herself from her brother, who was all she had left. And it even shows in the end when she kills Thomas, um, how badly that fucks her up and how even when she's getting the living shit beat out of her, it tells Edith, you'll have to kill me because I will not stop.
0: Yeah, I think, no, I think you touched on something there that I think maybe I wasn't being sympathetic enough, actually, when I was listening to you talk about it. Um, she's also older than Thomas, so she had to live longer with the horrible upbringing than he did in a way. Cause and she, she was had more to aware.
1: The, the guilt and the blame for it. Mm-hmm. Like the paper wrote about her, she was sent to, uh, I get a, a, an institution for it, or he, he probably right. just got a tap on the wrist because he was younger and therefore could not possibly have done such horrible things.
0: Yeah, and I thought that scene where uh, Edith and he spend the night at the post office because of the weather, supposedly, but really, it's kind of they finally get a night alone together and they Mm -hmm. finally get to consummate their marriage. Um, And when she comes back, I think the way that uh, Jessica Chastain plays that fit of rage, she goes into realizing that they had a night together Mm -hmm. was kind of surprising because it's really angry, but it's also really sad. She like, she loses control. Yeah. And she says, I was all alone. And it, I mean, their house is like terrible and dying and, It's true. If he leaves, she's completely alone. It's not like she's a great prospect for marriage herself. I mean, you know, given everything everyone knows about her. So she is kind of alone. So, yeah, I I do think you're right. I think that uh, she is also a victim of circumstance. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's just easier to be more sympathetic to Thomas Sharp because he's just got less baggage. And he's less of a participant. You could argue that... You know he he really had no alternative in uh, until he met Edith, and um, how to get out of it because she makes sure that they always return back to that house and stuff. Which it's like, man, just get out of there. <laughs> I
1: know. And so. it's one of those adding to Lucille's character that I you know at first I was like, oh she's oh I, she's weird. I don't like her. Um, adding to the fact because I I used to think why wouldn't she just marry someone and take their money because. A, she would have to move in with that family so they wouldn't be able to come back to... uh, I forget the name of their actual house. It's not Crimson Peak. Starts with an A. I'm I'm terrible. The the (laughs) Um, (laughs) A-Hall. You have to consider that she is too old in society standards to really remarry because even people... Uh, are talking about how Edith is gonna be like a spinster. She's already becoming too old because she's not seeing anyone and isn't married, and they kind of poke fun at that. Um, but also, considering everything that Lucille went, it's really telling that, even if they were only like a couple years apart, how she got the brunt force of everything. She was labeled as crazy. She was sent to an institute. She was blamed for the murder and how women are often villainized and blamed for their erratic emotions that were seen as mentally unstable, like, Mm -hmm. for for that time. Yeah. I would argue even now. But yeah, I think... Yes, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: But yeah, like, I also... Yeah, you're right, you know, it does sort of create this idea of, like, what was actually happening at the time where women really do not hold power unless through marriage but they're also not the main power holder the man is still
1: the head of the household and even though she has control she needs that control over thomas because without him she's really nothing
0: yeah yeah you're you're totally right i don't think i picked
1: up on that and in that society
0: Mm -hmm. And I think in addition to, like, having to go to the institution and all all that, I think her parents were even more cruel to her specifically, right? Mm -hmm. And she mentions that, too, as another way to hold guilt over him. Like, well, I was abused more than you were. And and he knows that. And I think that's another reason why he's, like, he kind of goes back and forth with how he feels about Lucille. Because he is sympathetic to her.
1: Mm -hmm. Even in the end. And, you know, even after all she's done and he wants to save edith even though edith knows everything he's like we can still fix this somehow right we can move away and start fresh and no one has to know right and i think for lucille like
0: she's even more trapped at that house than he is she can't imagine leaving i mean she's just sort of has i think you know stockholm syndrome from her upbringing and so she that that's not an option and then also sharing him is not an option either no. and that's why she does what she does at the end yep yeah she is a pretty complex villain i could see why she wanted to play her even more i mean i love mia too she does an it's, awesome it's, job
1: <laughs> it's a in a not weird way to say a fun role
0: <laughs> yeah it's a complex role <laughs> yeah for sure yeah and, and that's got to be fun as an actor you want to be a villain that's got you know a great character arc and has motivation that's understandable and and yeah and i think you know uh thomas sharp too like uh, in the end uh sometimes with characters like his that have this turn at the end like i'm good now i i usually feel like ugh what a cop out like what about everything else they did yeah but with him i really feel that he is genuine um Gilmo del toro said in one of the behind the scenes that at the very end when he's like when he's talking to her um, and even as a ghost it's like the secrets are finally all out in the open she's seeing him for the first time who he actually is and I I think that's really beautiful Um, there's there's nothing left to hide anymore and you know there's the contrast of him as the ghost and then the bones of that machine that he built Guillermo del Toros looks almost like the bones of a dinosaur. Like, There's a lot of really cool visuals mm-hmm. at that scene, too, that I really like. Plus just his makeup. And that was another moment of like, whoa, that wasn't CG when you see so cool. like, Hiddleston walking around with that makeup. I was like, oh, that would be such a fun costume to do. Like like all the costumes in this movie. But I, I really like the look of that. It, again, it yes. looks very, like, it's stylized Dickensian. Cool. Yeah. and
1: cool. Mm-hmm. And I will say with the the like incest plot twist i wasn't a fan of it obviously the first time i was like Same. oh that's what we're going with incest ew i'm like why do we go with that so often <laughs> I, <we really> like, <laughs> like to game of us. thrones yeah it changed a little bit when after edith sees them and runs out in like a, a fit of just being upset saying how uh she she knows he's already been married and we the audience know that tom's been married before Um, but how she says uh you're not even his sister and she laughs before pushing edith over the edge saying "Um, that's where you're wrong i am so there's kind of this just momentary bait and switch of where you almost think oh my god that's not his sister that's just his last wife that isn't dead yet and then they're like, Honestly, oh, that's well, what nope. I thought it the first really time. Is the sister. Yeah, the
0: first time I saw this movie, the whole time I was like, That's not his sister. And then when she said that, I was like, What? Yeah. So
1: I appreciate it for just because that line was in there. Um, otherwise, you know, it's incest. It's yeah, <laughs>
0: There's a movie that I saw last year. It was on Netflix. Ugh, I should have looked it up. I cannot remember the name. But when I watched this again, I I looked at Nick and said, Man, this is just like that movie we watched last year. And I totally forgot. And I had seen Crimson Peak first. But it was, um, I don't know. It's like an Irish folktale type story. But it's also a horror. And it's about a brother and sister... And basically the sister wants to marry someone, but she can't, and the house is evil, and at the end you find out that um, there was some kind of incestuous relationship between their parents, and now, like, the house is, like, cursed, and they have to keep, like, oh. creating twins that also commit the same crime over and over and over again, and the house is, like, alive, and there's, like, water under... It's a really weird movie... And Hmm. visually, it's really interesting and cool, but it's also so disturbing because it's incest. But basically, yeah, it's like they're punished and cursed to repeat the same mistake over and over because either their parents or somebody in the past did it. And so now they have to and they can't ever leave. That's unfortunate. Yeah, (laughs) but it kind of reminded me of this movie a little bit. I was like, oh, that's weird. That's similar. Yeah. But yeah, I'll have to try to remember what it is and put it in the show notes or something. But it was it was it was kind of cool. It looked really neat anyway. But yeah, I agree with you. The first time I was like, I don't really love that. But yeah, I think there's a greater appreciation for all the story elements when you watch it again.
1: Yeah. And you can kind of yeah. piece together like, oh, here, uh, here's one piece of uh, furniture or a line that said or clothing that kind of ties in with later. Like even when Edith takes out the it doesn't directly tie in, but it made me think about it. Um, pulls out her hat pin.
2: Uh, oh in front of the yeah. Mirror,
1: uh, before seeing like the shadow of a ghost behind her. I think it's like the first time she kind of sees something. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, later on Thomas is stabbed with, I'm not quite sure. I think it's just a regular pin, but it, Ooh. or a knife. But it made me think yeah, of it. Yeah, I thought it was happen. like a letter opener. Yeah, something, but something like that. And it made me think of it. And it's not necessarily that those two things were tied together. But because but visually, they focus so much on something so sharp, I was like thinking about, what is it, that theater thing where if you show a gun in the first act, it has to go off in the second or third one. I could be completely wrong. Something like that, Oh, my like gosh. That, you
0: know? Yes. <laughs> and and, and also keys. the ha- yeah, and also the hat pin, it reminds me of the pin that you would put inside of a, like a butterfly when you're pinning it to, uh-huh. to something, also. When you're displaying it. she's kind of like a butterfly. And they show that a lot in the movie, too, of like butterflies in jars, butterflies pinned. Yeah, yeah there's just so much there to that. And her mom's ghost
1: is all black and covered in moths they're either moths or butterflies oh, yeah. but they are if they're butterflies they're black butterflies but they're all mm-hmm. along the bottom of that dress when she's warning about Crimson Peak so it's kind of like connects to that house and it's dark colors and the butterfly yeah. moth motif that they've got going on
0: that's true but she's not red because she didn't die she wasn't buried in those clay things she or died in the clay earth.
1: from oh what did they say
0: was it the plague
1: it's something some disease my brain keeps going to consumption because i think it starts with a c but it's not the consumption
0: (laughs) (laughs) that would be a fair guess you know but yeah i i think gosh it's so yeah there's just
1: so much i want to buy this art book you have (laughs) oh yeah it's beautiful i have it right next to me um (laughs) and just like in general if you're looking at beautiful art books to get from any of his movies which all of the books that come with them are generally pretty good but I I like this one especially because the paper it's printed on is very glossy and has kind of this cool shine to it. It also includes um, photographs like of Thomas and his wives. So it looks like old photographs
2: Ooh, like
1: that are just included and you can take them out or leave them in. There's also these like slips of paper that look like they're from old newspaper. Um, talking about the characters or their backgrounds um there's like some cool kind of clear inserts with butterfly motifs wow and did that come with the
0: steel book or how did you
1: uh i bought it separately oh okay. Um, okay i think if you just look up crimson peak the art of darkness you'll find it okay but yeah anytime he has an art book release for his movies i want it and i buy them there's also this super sick, and only I would buy this movie a third time, but I considered it. There's like this <laughs> ultimate collector's edition. You're not, edition I assure you. <laughs> that's like a beautiful, uh, It, it's almost like a, it's like a set piece that opens up. I think it included a drink of some sort with it. Ooh. Um, but it, it just, it looks like the house and it kind of opened up. And it was just so beautiful looking, the box at least was, for the uh, Blu-ray. I think there wow. was two different kind of collector's editions, like kind of a more common one. And I don't know if this other one I saw was like a, a super limited for people in the know only. Because mm. I want to say I looked at it and it was like a thousand something dollars. I <laughs> I may have had a, little a lot of my price range. about that, but, you know, I remember seeing... <laughs> the box work for it and i was like that is so beautiful
0: nice that is so cool there's so many like oh there's so many amazing costumes in this movie i really i really want to make one of these dresses even though i please recently made a dress and it was so much harder (laughs) than i thought it was gonna be that i was
1: like i'm never doing this again and now i'm already like i want to make something else like that (laughs) i still have mother ghost on my list so edith's mom because obviously there's photos all over of the actual costume from the exhibit Um, and then I have the art book and then you know stills from the movies it's like you know if I'm going to make a fancy asterisk it's going to be of a dead ghost I love it I love that idea (laughs) (laughs) that's the best
0: (laughs) that's so cool well did we uh, miss any uh, scenes that you wanted to talk about
1: oh man probably but Lord, I could go on forever. Me too.
0: (laughs) I just like, yeah, there's just so many good scenes in this movie and everybody did such a great job. Try to see if there's anybody I forgot to give a shout out to. Um, Jim Beaver as the dad was awesome as Edith's dad. Mm -hmm. Uh Bern Gorman, he's only in a couple scenes as Holly. He's the guy that's sort of like the private investigator. And I just think he's such an interesting looking actor. I love seeing him and stuff. He's like always in period pieces. And I just really like his look. So definitely wanted to shout out to him. I think that's it. He has such a cool <laughs> just face. just want to make sure I mentioned him.
1: He does.
0: He looks really he neat. He stands out. <laughs> and yeah, he's I like hadn't fancy realized but
1: severe. I like I didn't really pay attention to him until Pacific Rim. Oh yeah, he's awesome in that movie. <laughs> so after I saw him, I was like, I know I've seen him before in other stuff. So
0: I feel like he was in like Torchwood, which I didn't really watch, but he's in a lot of like British stuff, which, right?
1: I think that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just seem he's just got that face where he could be in like, I don't know, like a spy movie, or but also in a you know seventeenth century mm-hmm. movie, like. He just has such a cool... He's, a, he's like a character actor, and he's just got a cool look, so I, I yeah. always appreciate when I see him, even if it's just briefly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, the cast what, generally is pretty small for this. I mean, there's a couple that's side true. characters, but for main cast-wise, it's really, what, four, four people?
0: Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and they've all got such a big presence that it doesn't feel like it. It almost feels like there's more people in the movie. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think they all just have those great performances. I mean, then you've got Doug and Javier playing 12 different ghosts, so, you know. <laughs> I didn't realize there were that many. hmm That's crazy. I think... What do I have here? Five written down? Because you have a lot the of three them. wives, Enola, Margaret, Pamela, um, Edith's mom, and then Lady Sharp, with, like, coming out of the bathtub.
0: So what happened to the dad, I don't remember... Mr. Sharp, do we know anything about him?
1: Oh, what did they say? I feel like, I what did he go off? Oh, did he leave them? He left the house.
0: He's like, I'm out of here. Did it come (laughs) back?
1: I. He's just a character I've never paid attention to. I can't remember.
0: Well, you know, again, that's another flip. I feel like a lot of times in these kind of movies, we hear about the dad, the father of the house, and in this case, it's all about the ladies
1: because they Lucille talks about how, you know, when she would come home, they would hear mm. her playing the piano. But the focus is Ugh. so much on moms and motherhood.
0: Yeah, it really is. Even with there's some symbolism with Edith being like yellow and they talked about how like a cornucopia and like uh-huh. fertility and stuff like that. There's definitely a theme about like life and death and that cycle and a lot of that centering around the mother. I love how Lucille's ghost is playing the piano at the end, too.
1: Yeah. So I, I
0: read that Jessica learned how to play the piano for this movie. Oh. So that she could look authentic in those scenes.
1: Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I guess know. actors have done more or less. I don't know the word that I'm looking for there. But, you know, if you're really yeah. into a role, you'll do whatever. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> yeah, I think it helps. I mean... You know, it it, it looks different when someone who can play plays and especially because that's how her ghost is at the end. It's such a big part of her character and it's her fitting into the role of of her mother in a way, the person that she hated so much, but then ultimately becomes. Yep. Trying so so
1: hard to be a better person to Thomas and even, you know, having that baby and it since it's a product of incest, it is not great and not great health and doesn't survive, I guess yeah so even she can't even be a better mother so that sucks yikes
0: you're (laughs) so right (laughs) whoa i love this
1: movie this is so cool the more you know the more you (laughs) know the more you unpack how terrible everything is um all these morbid details
0: (laughs) yeah all right so did we miss anything else you think
1: who knows who knows? Okay, well, I mean, let's wrap if, up then. <laughs> yeah, if other people have seen it, you know, there's a bunch of other things that we could have talked about, but I, I think we got a good, good, nice chunk.
0: I, fi- I, I think so too. I know I was starting to like, when I was going off on of my tangents halfway through in my head, I'm like, okay, Lisa, come back, come back. <laughs> so I, I think I got everything I need to say out. Um, So that brings me to my last couple of questions for you then. Uh, we've been talking about it for, a while here but what why do you think you keep watching this movie why have you seen it so many times
1: i think and like i've said a few times throughout here re-watching it you notice new things and um, it's not one of those movies where you really have to dig into lore outside of the film like you don't have to read the art book um, i think there's a, a book that goes along with it as well like a novel that was written um you can read or watch interviews and watch all the little side bits but it's not necessary to enjoy the movie as is I will say the more you kind of branch out and look into it there's more lore that you kind of unlock from it and it it just kind of breathes new life into the piece versus a one-time watch H- had I only watched this the one time it would have been like a eh, kind of movie and then you know I wouldn't I wouldn't enjoy it as much as I do today.
0: I agree. I, you know, I mentioned at the top, uh, he he talked about the influences Del Toro had for this film and it mentions The Shining. And I would say, you know, The Shining is probably my favorite movie. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, you watch it one time, it's sort of a straightforward uh, horror, but there's so many details and so many questions unanswered and so many... You know, things to look at in the movie. And that's why I like revisiting it. And I think that because of that movie, it's sort of shaped what kind of viewer I am, where I like movies like this, where, you know, it does reward rewatching. And there's just so much to look at and so many things to pick up every time. Like you said, you can watch it one time and you're like, that was okay. But watching it even just a second time, I saw it so differently this time. And I think it's something that I will return to and I'll be excited because there's just so many things to look at and so much to take in and I know that Del Toro put it there on purpose because that's just like the kind of director he is so I I totally agree with you I think it's I think that's why I've liked watching it a second time um, what's your elevator pitch for this movie like how would you describe it in a way that's better than the trailers <laughs> did
1: um, it is a a, a gothic romance with ghosts in it.
0: <laughs> That's so perfect. <laughs> I would describe it just how
1: Edith describes her manuscript. It is not a horror movie. It has horror elements. I, I actually went back and forth on Twitter. It was,
0: I think it was with Palmer from um, uh, Academy Rewind. Mm-hmm. And because he was saying it's so funny that Gilmore Del Toro said it's not a horror when it so clearly is. And I'm like, what? And we kind of went back and forth a little bit. I, I do think you view it differently if you're not a horror person. You will look at this movie and go, that's horror. Yeah. But if you watch a lot of horror, it, you see it under a different lens. You see it under the lens that Del Toro does, I think. Right. Uh, I I wholeheartedly agree with you the way you described it. It is more gothic and romance than horror. There are horror elements, but they are secondary it's with ghosts in it. It's not about ghosts. It's so also, I, I completely agree.
1: It's unfortunate because horror tends to be lumped into this one category when there's so many subgenres of horror. Um, and so, yes, it could fit in a, in a subgenre of horror, but it can also fit in other parts like period piece. Um, uh, the, the catch-all for Victorian, so I generally say Period uh you know fantasy um but i i like to say it has ghosts in it just because of how the movie presents itself through edith Um, yeah but i mean absolutely you could call it a horror movie if you really want but saying it's just a horror movie kind of does it a disservice comparing it to other horror movies i guess like, no, I agree, you know, <laughs> yeah. It sets up an expectation.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it sets up an expectation of what the tone is going to be and where it's going to go. And, like, for us, the first time we watched it, 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 it's a little disappointing because you're expecting horror, even though, like you said, there's a lot of different subgenres, there's certain elements you expect to be there, and I don't think this has those, mm-hmm. you know? It's not open-ended at the end. It's not... Uh, bad guy wins it's not in my opinion truly terrifying and I know that's subjective but it's I don't think that's the aim of the movie the aim of the movie is not to scare you and disturb you no. whereas I feel like true horror is it's in the name <laughs> so I feel like yeah I don't know it, it is hard to explain and pin down but if I you so- just call it straight horror it's not I think that'll I think that does the movie a disservice as well
1: I also feel like Folk horror and fairy tale horror. Um, dark fantasy kind of fits its own subcategory. So, movies like Witch um, and even yeah. Midsummer, you oh, know, yeah. a non horror fan might see these and go, uh, Witch was boring or, uh, Midsummer was weird. But they both have very different horror aspects. Like, what one person may think is horrifying may not be horrifying to another. So I think Crimson Peak kind of falls in the category of person to person. You may think this is scary. You may think it's not to each their own.
0: No, I agree. I, I love that you brought up Midsummer because I I've talked to people that are like, Oh my gosh, this is the scariest movie I've ever seen. And then other people are like, I liked it, but it wasn't horror at all. And I'm like, Hmm. It was definitely so some it, folk horror, That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I was. <laughs> it also
1: has one of the scariest scenes I've ever seen in a movie in a long time. <laughs> Which scene was that? I have to know now. Uh, in the opening, without going into the details with the oh, house. The very long, drawn out scene. I got to chill
0: when you said that. <laughs> yep,
1: that scene stuck <laughs> like with me the around. whole time. Nothing else yeah. in that movie came even close to that scene. But well, that shows, reaction too. That shows yeah. what scares me.
0: No, I, 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 I agree. I think we're on the same page there, because that scene was, yeah, it's, he's really good at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's really good at those truly unnerving scenes that you can't get out of your head. There's a few in that movie like that, actually, right. but yeah, yeah. Well... Chelsea, this has been really fun. I'm so glad you came back. And I know that, like, you kind of want to get away from talking about <laughs> horror since that what that's what your podcast is uh, focused on. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of happy that you came on to talk horror because I wanted to gush horror with you. Um, where can people find your podcast?
1: Sure. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Golden Girls Podcast, I believe. Um, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, Golden Girls, and... Um, uh, instagram facebook at golden girls uh like i said we talk about horror movies and horror games we even oh i don't know if we've even posted it yet we've had several episodes um that have been recorded but carly's been moving and there's been a lot of technical issues but we did talk about midsummer for one of them um Ooh, so I'll have i want to s- listen to that one i'll have to see if that was uploaded yet or not but Okay. She does all of her editing, and I, I don't want to rush her with everything that's <laughs> especially been going when you're on moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, what a we, nightmare! We definitely went in depth.
0: I cannot wait to listen to that. I loved your witch <laughs> episode. You guys have to go listen to that. It's so good.
1: Yee. Yeah. So if you like it, come on listen.
0: Awesome. Well, you have to think about your. I think you wanted to talk Twister this time, so we I need to oh, honor God, that. Next yes. time you come on, we're gonna talk Twister. Uh, But, yeah, thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on. For sure. Anytime. (laughs)